afraid to talk. That's never happened before. I picked up on the Skype line and was like, I can't speak. My words will not be recorded for posterity. <laughs> they won't really exist. You just dead silence. Like, yeah. you were on, but there you're was, like, there was a I mo- shall not speak. <laughs> there was a moment of, of panic there where I was like, uh, like, what do I do? Do I say, hold on? Do I? And then I was furiously alt-tabbing away from a article I was reading about Game of Thrones mistakes. How could you? Yeah. Now, I was fresh off of Skype calling me weak. I tried to call you several times, and it wouldn't work. And then finally I clicked, and it gave me an error, and it said, your connection is weak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, uh, I uh, I have a little uh, mood tracking app I may have mentioned before. Like mm-hmm. just the thing, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Say you like did. how you're doing or whatever. I bought it. I bought the like non-free version, which I forget what features it unlocked. Other than I felt was like, you know, here's two ninety nine. I've been using this app for three months or whatever. Um, but it has a little like achievement section that I'd never noticed before. Um, and it says I have I have an achievement called Our Hero, which means that I gave them money, so I bought that achievement. I have an achievement called Busy B. Because I have a lot of activities listed, I've and then I have. There's one that I have not ach- unlocked. I'm not one achievement in this mood tracking application on my phone that I have not unlocked called Complex Person. It's grayed out, and it says you need six moods to un- to unlock this achievement. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I guess we can make anything into a. Well, I mean, I guess achievement should be reserved for a positive accomplishment, right? That's what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I would not call that an achievement. I would call that a, uh, I don't know. It's it's a more, it's... There thing. Well, that wouldn't work. It's gamification. It's just things that are you know. There are nine achievements in this app. Uh, anyway, that one in in the spirit of uh, computers, really putting us in our place this morning. Oh, um, you could call them traits. Yeah, I, you've you've earned a trait. <laughs> there we go. Uh, who was I? Oh, I was talking to my sister uh, yesterday because it was her birthday. And she mentioned offhand, wait, I really should... Which sister? Wait, two days ago. Oh, it was your birthday yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, which... happy birthday. Um, Maybe I knew that. Yeah, I remembered it was one day one day uh, off, my oldest sister, and your birthday. Um, She was... Uh, call, she was talk, said offhand, we were mentioning... Uh, I forget why we were talking about Dungeons and Dragons, as you do for a second. It came up and uh, she said that she didn't she really wanted someone to play Dungeons and Dragons with. um, But since she didn't have anyone around, she was working on her own character uh, just for, you know, in her free time. I, I need to follow up with her and find out what her overarching plan there is. But my understanding is she's like fleshing out a RPG character uh, sort of, you know, traits. I need um, to know which sibling this is. This is this is the oldest sibling, Kylie. Kylie. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. Well, that's 
usually goes the other way. I mean, usually <laughs> yeah. people are like sort of let into it. Um, you know, at this point, we should just consider doing a roll twenty game with uh, Discord or something. Um, a ro- I, so I'm I'm gonna be honest. I have this is a weird blind stop for me. I'm not entirely straight on what Discord is. As someone who listens to a pod, you know, I listen to like a video game podcast where they talk about Discord all the time. And Discord seems to be very popular. Is okay, it- so I'm going to be equally honest, which is that I've never used it, and I hold a 20%, yeah, I'm going to say 10% chance of being wrong about what it is, but I believe it's just for, a, it's a chat platform. Oh, okay, I'm looking at it now. Voice it, chat. Is it just, is it Slack, but with voice chat? The way people talk about it, it sounds like it must have some kind of features, but the general gist seems to be that when people want to talk in a group to each other as they do something on a computer, they have a Discord channel. Oh, that sounds... Okay. Well, I downloaded it. I'll look at it later. Oh, we could do some sort of a game like that. Sounds official. I'm not a... Like, I have a... a, We've had a... Um, sort of a breakthrough as we've discussed. My my eight year old is has reached a um, critical mass of brain activity <laughs> to the point where I feel like almost any board game is at least achievable to play, um, if not actively competitive. Um, well, so. don't play D and D for competition's sake. Look, I know that you, well, you, know what I mean. you buy apps competitive just to is... be told you've achieved stuff <laughs> in life. But... <laughs> sweet, sweet achievements. I must have them. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, not competitive. Uh, um, you know, the difference between guiding Compl- someone through dis- decisions and them being able to really, like, uh, independently... Participate, yeah. yeah. Um, I got it. If anything... Uh, like uh it's it's exciting right like we 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 i finally cracked open my copy of risk legacy um do you ah know? yes i've never gotten to play any legacy game yeah there's only two right it's risk and pandemic well those are the main ones i don't okay. know if there are others but all right well i should explain risk legacy in 5 seconds uh i bought it years ago i bought it long enough ago that um, I was, oh God, uh, it might've been, he might've been like a baby. Like I bought this game. It's a, it's a sealed box, um, where with a bunch of sealed components and it's stickers. And, um, and the idea is you play risk 15 times. There's 15 rounds of risk. Um, but you are intended to mark on the board. You are intended to put stickers on things and permanently alter the game over the course of those 15 games. So you have to get, um, you know, a contiguous committed group of three to five people uh, that are going to want to play Risk 15 times. And you don't want to have, have drop someone out because that's the whole idea is continuity over time, which is an incredibly big ask um, unless you have like a real strong board game buds. Um, so I apparently... <laughs> in the spirit of my family, uh, grew those buds (laughs) rather than uh, sort of importing them from other families. 
one day I realized Archer was just old enough to do it, so we busted it <laughs> open. Yes, that's the main. That's the main reason I haven't played a legacy game is because I have no way of committing to that many consecutive plays with the same people. Right. Yeah, it becomes a. Um, uh, it becomes an issue. Um, we. So far, it's cool. Um, like when when you win a game, you get to like name a city. The whole setup. Um, I didn't knew nothing about it other than what I just explained to you. But the whole setup is that like it's a clone of Earth or something. So everything's unlabeled. It's, it is the world map, but it's a world map where you can uh, label continents and cities and stuff and get bonuses from them. So the reward for winning one of the games so far has we've played two games. Out of fifteen, the reward so far has been you get to name one city or one continent, um, and it's sweet. You feel it feels very, uh, um, very uh, sinful to be writing Wait, with a ballpoint pen. You get to name pen. continents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And All you, right. Have you done it yet? Yeah, I've named a city. Dadia is uh, in Scand- Scandinavia. Um, Dadia uh-huh. in the north. <laughs> the north. We just call it the, in the north now, I guess. I, I don't have the board in front of me. There's there's a number of cities that smaller cities have been named. If you it, it, anyway, it, it's has Archer named anything? He has, but it, he's um, I couldn't name. I, the, I'm sitting there making low effort puns, you know, like Daddy or I, I think I named the the city in the Western United States is just called Derp. Um, but uh, right. or no, no, it's Welp. Sorry, W E L P. Um, the the names that he comes up with are they sound like native names from some non-existent language like ah. they're not really they don't really stick in the brain um because they're they're not like silly <laughs> looks like someone's taking this game seriously and someone's not <laughs> well he's All right he's, so maybe you should step up your game game you can see his gears turning with this game like you know it's risk my my uh my history with Risk has, you know, I never owned Risk, um, but I played it maybe three times growing up, and it was, it, it, first of all, it's a cruelly, the, a traditional Risk is like cruelly unfair, right? Like the the way that the game works, you just roll dice against the other guy's dice, and then the total wins, right? Like there's not a, there's no nuance correct. to it, right? There's, it's, well... Yes, that's exactly correct. But there wasn't really another option for grand scale territorial, you know, map gaming. I mean, I used to do that as a kid to like just draw maps and make pretend invasion plans and stuff, <laughs> right? So that game was great, but just like you're saying, it was total love hate because I was very strategically minded and whatever and then somebody else who never had that thought in their life could roll up and be like oh looks like i got some sixes here yeah and i'd be like ah two sixes could ruin an entire uh, like roll <laughs> of like 10 other guys if you were really unlucky the the variance was way too high um and so my experience with risk was man this game seems like it would be awesome you can have armies and all this stuff and then of course either you get screwed by bad rolls or you um you know you're nine or whatever and you're you have not wrapped your head around proper strategy and tactics and just like uh leave your 
forces too thin. The other guy takes over Europe and all of a sudden he's generating units all over the place and you just get crushed. Um, Look, just retreat to Australia and well, wet, weather the storm. That's what happened with this game is uh, Shannon started in Australia. I started in Dadia, in my newly founded, shiny new uh, Scandinavian uh, capital. You know. Oh, yeah. I don't know what Australia is called. I've, never mind. Um, nothing yet. It, they do have like the continent or like the region names on the board, but like the continents themselves are as yet unnamed. Um, it's very exciting. This game's cool as hell. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> also, they kind of fixed the battle mechanic. I'll explain that in a second. But like, uh, I'm Archer definitely for you know he's he literally designs one new b- game idea like a week. Like whatever the latest game is that he plays, he attempts to make like his. Um, his version, his simulacrum with uh, construction paper, or and um, and he like he'll cut out pieces. He'll put an entire game together. We have tons of these things, like in little baggies and stuff. All of these, all of these like uh, instances frozen in time of Archer's understanding of X or Y game at a given time. <laughs> um, and some of them are legit, legitimately fun. Uh, some of them are like you know I'm trying to explain to him like. Game mechanics and like the, you know, what is and isn't fun about a particular action that someone gets to take in a game, uh, that kind of stuff. He made a game called Dice Golf recently that's purely just like rolling and adding up totals to get to a hundred. It's not not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> this it, reminds me of so many different, uh, like um, I don't know. St- maybe Star Trek episodes or something where a alien and or robot believes they understand human uh, <laughs> society and then tries to imitate it and everyone laughs at them. <laughs> well, he does. He definitely doesn't understand golf and these dice or from, are from something. I don't actually remember what, and one of them is like a, I'm all, I'm off track. I got to get back to risk legacy, but tell you the story of daddy. But first of all, this is like, it's a die that's got like a one side, it's a D6 and one side says like center green and two sides say out of bounds and three sides say, you know, yardage or fairway or something like that. And so the game is you roll two regular dice and then that die. And then if it lands on yardage, you just get whatever you rolled added to your total on, on this board that goes from zero to 100 with some missing spots. So if it rolls, uh, center green, you get plus three to your roll, and if you roll out of bounds, you lose your turn. Um, and then if you if your total is one of the missing spots, then you also lose your turn. <laughs> so, well, okay. I mean, I see the game there, you right? Know, I'm yeah, assuming that's a sand trap or something. So. Well, he. I mean, the game does not actually like it doesn't replicate golf in any meaningful fashion, right? Like it's he's using a sort of like two number dies and then a result die to, to move along this track. Um, so it's pretty funny to watch. Like, you know, he, he's got it. Like he's figured that like this die has like basically a good side, two bad sides and three neutral sides. And, right. and you were like, you yelled at him. You're like, <laughs> you get no achievement. This is not useful. Where are my sweet Chivos? I'm leaving. <laughs> We are um, achievement based in this family. 
uh, we, we played it for a while. He left out so many numbers toward like the 70 to 90 range that at one point, in order to, to advance in the board, I had to roll a 3 and 11. I think it had to be like a like 3. Like exactly. Yeah, I had to roll exactly 3 or 11 and have the out-of-bounds dice not, not land. So, uh, But like, yeah, it's it's he's getting it and then you're we're talking about like um some stuff that i think is really similar to design or like ui work that i do which is like you want to reduce people's frustration or like chances of being frustrated and also basic game mechanic stuff where you want the possible options to all feel good right like even if something bad happens it should be something that, that's bad yeah. and interesting well that's a design choice but I, I guess do, so. Yeah, I, I prefer those games. There are some games that are intentionally, I would call them stressful, where there's almost no good choices to make. But I think people have the most fun in strategic games where all the choices are sort of good. Well, yeah, you know, there might be a better option. Yeah, stressful is cool though because oh, I guess not good. Like you want to make sure that whatever happens on your turn is fun. Sometimes it's fun to have something stressful happen, right? Like Correct, oh, but yeah. it's like you may lose if you do two two moves wrong in in a row. You know like oh, yeah. there's a level of like unforgivingness that's not just stressful. It's like it's like you're going to quit. I don't want to play to the end. I've made a wrong choice. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that with my risk game. Um, so like, I'm trying to guide him a little bit and be like, all right, in this game, there are potentially too many ways for me to just lose my turn. <laughs> like, it, but he, you know, he, he takes feedback really interestingly. Like sometimes he'll like really consider what you're saying. And other times he'll be like, no, that's a, you know, that's part of this game. I really intended it to be like that. It's like he he was very firm about the losing your turn and stuff because he had, he had looked at the die. He's like, look, you have one chance to get a bonus, three chances for it to be fine, and two chances for it to get to be bad. That's fair. Like he he's just, the rules. Yeah, that's it. And then he he told he took my other feedback and said he would consider it for a dice golf too. Um, so he's. Did you submit this in a written proposal to him? Or I, I was feel it a- like I should have gotten something notarized. Um, <laughs> and maybe I would you take it more seriously. Uh, well, yeah. this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. All right, but you're, you've, you uh, descended from the north. Right. Um, well, I, in, our, in our game one, Archer had never played anything even remotely resembling Risk before. Right, like this is a brand new. You can watch his like these gears turning. He's never even seen a board game where you control armies on a map. For all the board games that he has played at this point, um, and Shannon has has played Risk like once in her life. Right, like so they started. Uh, he was started in like South America. She started in North America. Game one, I took over Europe and immediately just crushed every everyone. Um, game two, I start again at in. North America or in Europe. And I'm like, I'm going to do, you know, similar strategy. Now I got this like major city. I'm going to start from that gives you extra population. It's like a little bonus. Um, and Archer immediately swarms me <laughs> from North America, like blitzkrieg style, um, weakens us both. And Shannon had started in Australia. So eventually a few turns in, we're both just like low on troops 
uh, the you know fighting over scraps in Iceland. And the Australian scourge. <laughs> the Australian scourge spans across it's, the continent. It's now the Southeast Asian like massive army, uh, and uh, and she uh, mopped the. I I actually got. I basically formed a human shield to slow her down so Archer could like build up an army. We formed a, a an unhel- un- un- uneasy alliance. And then she she ended up sweeping through anyway. Um, but it's terrible. Well, he's learning, it sounds, right? He's yeah, learning. Like it sounds a, like a like a computer game or like a AI learning. You know, like this person is clearly the threat, and then I'll I'll remove the threat, and it's like, oh, there are more complicated threats. Well, she. It's like the AI slider has like an aggressiveness <laughs> slider from zero to ten, and they're like, okay, ten's too high. Um, if I go to 10, then I just, like, with three players. So the real test is, well, three players is an issue, right? right. There's only so much balance that can occur. So the real test is if Archer um, daggers through Shannon's troops next time or develops some sort of defensive play-off-each-other strategy. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see because he... Uh, I think he learned that you can't go all aggro, or the one, the two of you that have been fighting just end up getting crushed. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it's it's cool. And there's all sorts of things we haven't opened yet. There's like uh, there's there's hints of the game changing dramatically. It basically tells you the first few games are going to be regular risk. By the way, the battle system. Just I have to at least mention it. Uh, for Instead all you of risk fans out yeah, there. Yeah, for all you risk risk heads, um regular risk, if I have five guys and you have two guys, I roll five dice, you roll two dice, and the total wins. Which means that I could very easily roll ones and twos and you could roll a five and a six and destroy me in a way that is kind of uh can feel well, irritating. you reduce your number, and then yeah, so yeah, on, yeah. So you reduce by whatever. <clears throat> yes. So in this game, you can you attack with three at a time maximum, and they defend but two at a time maximum. So you the attacker rolls three dice, and the defender rolls two dice, and then you compare the highest rolls and the next highest rolls. So if oh, that's much. Yeah. Well, I'd have to see it played out, but that's much more balanced. They're, they're actually, I totally forgot about this. There used to be. And probably still is this very simple, almost forum-like online uh, game called Army something. I might use up too much brain power, but um, (laughs) it was basically Risk Online. Mm. And it was just tons of people were on it all the time. And you could just play random games at Risk and variations on Risk. Mm. But the basic mechanic of fighting was what you mentioned previously. And so the strategy would be to have a relatively good position and build up a infinite stack of units and just expand and leave like one guy behind until you've just run through every single territory because the advantage to having tons of people at once was just too huge. Yeah. I, I, I actually remember that game. It was like a little web game. Cause you, yeah, are, yeah. Cause you, are, I can't even remember the name. You get like ninety three guys, and then you just sit there and click over and over again and watch the numbers go down. This allows this like spreads the risk or the risk. The the uh, there it is. 
the uh, uh, spreads the rolls or it separates the rolls. So if I roll like a um, one, two, six, and the other guy rolls a five, five, the six is going to beat the five, but his five is going to beat my two. So instead of that being like a, a immediate total loss for me, it's like a, you do head to head with both of the dice and then you keep doing that. So it's only ever a swing of two units um, and it's only ever head to head rolls. So it's cool. Um, it immediately makes risk of way an infinitely less uh, aggravating game. But uh, well, yes. Here you go. Yep, we Any did you. it. We talked about risk for thirty minutes. How's it going in in life? Um, hmm. It's a Wednesday today, mm-hmm. and I'm tired as usual. It's pretty good. It's in Chattanooga last weekend. Oh, uh, love for Chattanooga. a concert and a anniversary trip slash Abigail playing with the symphony up there anyways for a, some kind of Star Wars concert. Ooh. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what I did. I ate a lot. There's a restaurant that just made everything out of biscuits. Every time I go to a city, it strikes me that there's so much more specialization of things, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. just sent somebody a photo and I was like, in cities, they have biscuit restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, slight exaggeration, not really. So I do like going to, you know, moderately larger cities to do specialized things i was gonna say chattanooga on i mean it, it's been yeah, a while no, it's, it's not a well like a okay metropolitan... so first of all it is better than it was uh a lot more stuff to actually go to but you're right it's not really city um in well it's bigger than where i'm from so um there was also like a pinball hall which I think I sent you a picture of. Heck yeah. Which is also not something you would find in my city. Uh, there were no children. No no children? Like? Uh, with me. Oh, okay. No, the city was, had children. Yeah, I, I was saw worried. You really buried children. the lead there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Chattanooga was like, we've had it. Uh, 18 plus only. not the kind of city we're running here. There's cardio. No more the, children. Everybody gets a stamp. Um... Stamp on their hand. Uh, specialization of cities. Yeah. I mean, you I, you live in one of the great cities of the world, I, I should say. I agree. I, uh, this is a hell of a city. It is. There, that is, there are times that you go to a, a place here and then you find out maybe as you're there or later that it is some sort of a singular uh place so there's a um electronics store of all things outside the city uh city in chicago land area which can't say i'm into the phrase chicago land area just that's not a phrase though right that is or that is for is real it? the actual phrase of like the chicago area for some reason they say chicago land um which makes well, it sound like okay. some sort of a weird theme park <laughs> chicago land it. i have heard of but it sounded uh, only in the context of like, how should I say this? Like a 
like to indicate that something is like the things that go on in Chicago. Oh, a Chicagoland style slang. <laughs> oh, geez. I that's even weird. Well, it's dark, but not necessarily all that. But nobody says Chicagoland area. Yeah, no, they totally do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The Chicagoland, the Chicago metropolitan area. I'm just making sure I'm not insane. Um, yeah, it's, uh, anywho, we're out there in Chicago, Chicago land, um, in, uh, in Electronicsville, uh, one of the subsections of the theme park, um, this place called, I don't know how to say it. It's spelled ABT and it's not, and I think it's just apt electronics. Like, I don't think it's a, it's this guy's name. Um, and it's this, uh, electronics store, that is the largest independently owned electronics and appliance store in the country uh, and potentially up there in the world, but definitely the country. Um, it is a, um, it, you walk in and there are, you know, like an oldie, old timey, not even old, that old timey, but like a eighties electronics store, like proto Sears, uh, independent electronic store where you walk in and there, there'll just be like rows of, I would like pre big box basically. Like, like, well, it's remind sounds like Radio Shack or if you remember this place, Tech Advanced. It's more like Tech Advanced. Uh, Tech Advanced okay. was no, te- no, no. Tech Advanced was like computer parts. This place doesn't sell uh, computer parts. This place sells. Um, it's, it, it feels like it's plucked out of an alternate reality where instead of going big box, like, uh, the, all of the, like, slightly pre circuit city kind of stores just kept growing outward instead of upward. Right. Like, so instead of, uh, uh, yeah, instead of us shifting to one giant cube with like kind of completely unnecessary 45 foot ceilings. Um, we instead shifted into, uh, the kind of a fifties or sixties style, um, independent appliance store, just getting bigger and like growing outward and growing other wings. So it's like an electronics shanty town. Yeah, a little bit. It's like someone took an entire shopping mall and turned it all into one electronics store. Um, and you walk in and there's just like a, a row of four dozen, uh, stoves, like all set up exactly right next to one another. Like there's, it's just, it's demo station galore, right? Like you've got microwaves and stoves and ovens and washing machines. And then right behind that is like, uh, uh, home theater systems. And then like the, there's a whole TV, like city in the back. Uh, there's a, um, there's a big central plaza area with a fountain and they make cookies there. And, uh, (laughs) There's a, a whole, there's a kitchen. Wait, is this a mall? It kind of is. It's in. It's a bizarrely huge place with like a bunch of different contiguous sections, but it's all this one independently owned electronic store. And in a world where like every other independent electronic store I can think of that does stuff like this is super gone, it was kind of wild to walk through and be like, um, like. This has they have more separate SKUs than like any big box franchise store is ever going to have, right? Like there's 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 a lot of like you couldn't and wouldn't build a store like this 
ever on purpose. This is some kind of organic, like, singular achievement. Like some kind of weird tree that was in just the right spot and... There's none like it anyway. Yeah, because the um, the the way that this business has shifted just doesn't support this stuff anymore. It um, it, there's everybody is in really nice little outfits, you know, not like super fancy outfits, but like there there there's a high effort sort of like quality to the to the staff. Like you can get a free bottle of water there. It's almost like so as I'm walking around thinking about like. Uh, the devolution of this kind of business down to what's left of Best Buy, right? Like there, or, you know, you, you want to buy like a stove. There's, I've never seen so many stoves all in one place. Like this doesn't, this is not like a scalable way to run this kind of business anymore, right? Like, and so, yeah, it feels like a, um, a a fork in reality where businesses were able to continue down that sort of uh, high service quality and also high selection sort of path. Um, but I'm walking around wondering like how it's making money <laughs> because it just doesn't feel it. Do, it, it, also, it doesn't. It also comport, feels you know? like maybe it's the store of the future. Like after mm. some kind of civilizational apocalypse and subsequent re-coalescing of society, this place has just gathered up all the bric-a-brac uh, in, on offer, and it's like the only store within the eastern seaboard. Well, yeah, well, yes, or or that there's some <laughs> sort of sort of uh, like recession. And then reorganization of how, um, oh yeah, of how uh, like businesses are able to run that allows a store to be this like varied and yet independent. Because like these these stores get crushed by stores that you know have gotten crushed in the past by like franchised stores that have way less selection but have more efficiency or better margins or or you know or, or can cut costs in like X or Y other zillion different ways. Right. Um. Yeah. So we're walking through the store um, and thinking about how businesses have and the economy has shifted away from stores like this being practical and wondering if this is the only one, like why this one example of how business was intended to work at one point in like our economy is gone. Mm -hmm. Here's a picture of it. I sent you a picture. Um, That's just a picture of the one like appliance area. And, And it's, and, I went into the, uh, there, there's like a atrium area and then a second floor. And then we walked up into the second floor, uh, took the escalator up and the second floor is all like display rooms. Uh, so it's installations, right? Like you so I'm looking at a, um, it's like a super high, uh, quality, like rooms to go or Haverty's or something where they have rooms scenarios set up. But it's all oh, yeah. it's all really gorgeous, like big giant poured concrete tables and um glass fixtures eight feet wide and um super super fancy stuff. And I think my running theory is that at this point that has to be the way that they're actually making money. Like there's no way this bottom floor that's like this fictionalized 
praise of independently owned store capital style capitalism. Uh, there's, I just don't think it's, it's actually, it's gotta be a loss leader. Like it's gotta be just like their, their brand show off thing. And what they're actually making money on is, um, the, you know, the grotesquely rich people who can drop 45 K on a, on a, um, you know, a bathroom rebuild upstairs. Right. So all the 90% of their stories, reputation building. I, and then the ten percent yeah. is where they stay a lot. I th- I I have to imagine that's the case. Look at all those hoods. Yeah, I know, right? Stove hoods. Uh huh. There's think, no. Well, I did. Yeah. Oh, I've never even seen one at a store. Maybe <laughs> I've seen one. <laughs> well, that's the thing is a lot of this stuff only exists in like JPEG form. These yeah, days, too. a lot of most of, most of the stuff. Yeah, I'm seeing here. Like, if you took about. 15% of this stuff, it would be on display in a store. And the rest would be like, well, peruse our online catalog or look at the vendor site and then we can order what you want. Yeah, the vendor site. Exactly. Like the the um, the amount of stuff that's just abstracted away because like a contractor picks it for like a re- rebuild of something or like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. or it's, yeah, or it's run through a special catalog that you can't see because you're not, you're not a B2B situation or whatever. Yeah. Catalogs used to be for the masses. <laughs> now we get these filtered examples of catalogs. There's the catalog class now and they guard their rights jealously. Well, it's, yeah, there's the, having inventory is so impractical and like, and uh, when you can charge a little bit more and then drop ship stuff or whatever, like there's, there's a million reasons for this store to not exist. And there's a million reasons that it's the only one. Um, but I'm looking around that store the entire time, you know, my kids are eating cookies and I'm holding my free water and I'm, I'm shifty eyed glancing around corners. Like where is the real business happening? There's a, um, the last, <laughs> cause it just, it, I can just imagine you like, <laughs> obsessively poking around the store trying to prove that the downstairs displays are actually like elaborate cardboard what's, constructions. What's the brand from uh arrested the room fills the brand of <laughs> like prop furniture yeah. in the rest of development prop computer monitors i love that stuff oh man i do i think prop stuff is hilarious um the the um there's a the last Anthony Bourdain book um, that he wrote um, prior to his passing. Uh, he has a chapter about the sort of busted. Well, he actually has a bunch of chapters that deal in various ways with the grotesquerie of the rich. I would say, um, but one specific one talks about uh, the broken economy of a lot of high end restaurants in big cities, um, and he talks about like how many restaurants in in New York have basically a front section and a back section. Um, and the front sections where you go, you know, you pay $150 for a, you know, a prefix menu or whatever. Um, and the waits, you know, four, four hours and you got to call ahead a month or whatever. And like, but those, that isn't actually, even that is not actually like paying the bills for these people. What there is, is there's a back room where folks can, where, where rich, actual rich people go and drop 15 grand on a week on wine or whatever. 
And like, that's the stuff that's actually propping the business up. Yes. Um, and he talked I don't about know how, how I feel about that. It makes my existence feel like it's incidental to the whims of another group of people. Well, I've got some bad news on that front. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, yeah, but, I want to go back to ignorance. Well, I mean, he talks, he, he um, he, he, wait, hold on. Oh, we have a problem. I may have to go handle the children. Uh, we can. I'm going to stop recording here. Hello, listeners. I've been informed by my uh, co-host that his children require dealing with, uh, so he's departed. We'll be back in a little while and continue recording. In the meantime, I'm uh, going to at least tell you the name of the podcast and what you're supposed to do about it. This is Cameron and Brock are two people, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are two people. We talk every week, pretty much, about whatever we want to. Uh, because we have been friends for a really long time. Uh, didn't talk for 15 odd years in there, uh, reconvening, uh, sharing life experiences, seeing, uh, how similar or different our takes are about various topics given this extended time apart and yet intense familiarity with, uh, our, uh, childhood uh, it be, and, and whatnot being raised in the way that we were. Uh, that sounds ominous, but I'll leave it. Um, you can email us at Cameron and Brock at gmail.com about anything you want or call us at 2525. Hey, Cam, if you do so, we'll acknowledge it in some way. If you don't, we'll uh, keep doing this because we do it for us. Um, and secondarily for you but mostly for us, incidentally for you. Um, so thanks for sticking around. Uh, Brock will be back in a little while. I'm going to go get some coffee, and then I'm going to stop this recording until he comes back, and then he'll just kind of like abruptly drop back in. Bye. Record. Right, got recorded? Record. Yeah, I'm going to do one. Y'all. All right, so we're back. Uh, what has been, what, what, 20 minutes? has been mere moments for the listeners, which means that they remember what we were talking about, but we don't, right? Oh, yeah, we do. Okay. It was how our lives are ruled by people much richer than us. Oh, right. But not directly so much as we just sort of take their leavings. <laughs> or they're propping up some, like, uh, some simulacrum of retail or service or whatever. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, that was uh that's all accurate. Um that's what this place felt like. Oh, that's right. Electronics store, yes, uh fancy restaurants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh all of that, I mean, do you have any takes? I guess that's my take is just like the No, it's it's you know. perfect because it's like living in a world of that cardboard stuff. Not to extend the analogy too far, but uh, you you think everything's fine until you notice something's not behaving how you think it should. And then you realize the underlying way it works was never that way. It was just an approximation of how it would look if it worked that way. Right. And you're like, oh, no, it's all cardboard. <laughs> it's, it's a room fill. My wife is full of room fills. Yeah, I mean, even with uh, Amazon, I mean, so in the city, you feel all of this stuff a little bit more, right? Like there's um, Amazon delivery, which we've talked about 
on the show before they're finally marking the vans like i'm finally seeing vans with an sort of half-assed amazon logo on them it used to be that you're you're somebody would just be driving around in a van unmarked van and deliver amazon things to you um and it's all you know to undercut uh i mean i assume otherwise why would they be doing it to undercut like the actual mail system and cut costs or whatever but like the my items sometimes show up at bizarre times like i last night someone buzzed in at like 8 15 at night with something and i have people buzz in with something on the weekends and like we i have cut personally cut way down on amazon for about a million reasons in terms of uh how i feel about dealing with the a company with that many ethical issues um but like there's the the like uh seams in the the um the way that they're sort of disrupting stuff are starting to show and it's starting to be uglier and uglier um lyft and uber and all those are striking today i don't know if you knew about that that you know about the strike uh I may have heard about it on the news. I didn't know it was in Chicago, though. Yeah, it's like the 10, ten cities uh, of Pensacola, not one of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's because I was going to Uber to work today, so whew. <laughs> bullet dodged. Um, <laughs> but same thing, like the uh, the there there was this like glorious period for a second. There's always that like shiny period where you're like, oh, the industry is being disrupted. Finally, somebody's going in there with some good old fashioned. Capitalists know how to set those guys straight. And then, uh, you know, what actually happens is, um, you know, the Best Buy causes all of the independent in elect- electronic store to, to the close. And Best Buy eventually, you know, especially here, Best Buy has just been sucked dry. Like, I've been to a Best Buy w- once in Chicago, and it's it was a bizarre experience where there were literally more employees standing around in the store doing nothing than there were shoppers. <laughs> um, and then like, you know, you're, uh, oh sweet. Amazon's going to ship me things in two days. Uh, and in reality, you're, st- I'm starting to realize, you know, things don't, very few things actually show up in two days anymore. First of all, um, prime does not mean strictly two days, but also you realize that they're using their own probably less regulated workforce instead of the mail service. Um, and those people were working clearly, you know, working long hours uh, or weird hours or whatever. And then like the rideshare stuff, you know, they're, they're, they're striking because of working conditions. Because if you like drive for a rideshare, you don't, you aren't actually an employee and a bunch of the ways they've managed to undercut the taxi system is by, um, bypassing a bunch of labor laws and and otherwise necessary protections for their drivers. Right, but should we see it as a <clears throat> uh I mean, I guess looking at the taxi system, there there were issues. Basically, something oh, yeah, grows totally. up and then it becomes in place such that it's, you know, got all of its you know, for lack of a better term, corruption and how this gets the way it does and then something does disrupt it but then that thing has to have its own growth cycle right but you know like when they had to create unions and factories back in the early 1900s like Mm -hmm. it's not guaranteed but to see it go through a process is good right yeah um i mean 
that is the theory, right? Like that, that things that, that capitalism is this series of like cyclical events where something innovative happens uh, it is fresh and new for a second, and then that thing is eventually uh, reined in to some degree by laws and regulations catching up with it. It settles into place and eventually um, becomes stale and is replaced with some new wave of stuff. Um, that is hypothetically a good system, right? Like a um, prog- like a system that results I guess, in progress. I guess- what you're saying, let's take Uber and Lyft, for example. <clears throat> the, the, the idea that the companies are taking advantage of or increasingly maybe taking advantage of workers to, to get to sell that product is probably true mm. to a degree. But looking at it from a broader perspective, I can't really believe that – it's worse than the taxi system was like for all the benefits in this case that are occurring while it certainly is harming people just as any system was like look back look at it like look at how functional it is versus nobody used taxis right like Mm -hmm. in it's just I don't want to get lost in the details, I guess is what I'm saying. I do yeah. support like regulation because I think the biggest fallacy of all is that it, the less you regulate, the more flourishing society will be. No, it's like it ha- like yeah. only the only the owners win when there's no regulation ultimately. Right. But yeah, like I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to get lost in the details of the problems with something in this case, because I know society seems to have benefited. However, like the lower parts of society, people who can't have their own ride service are, are getting access to this. And some Mm. people are making money on the side, but the effect, yeah, is like that. They're like, Oh, we don't have to offer benefits anymore. And now this is your full-time job. And what do we do with that? Right. Yeah, I mean taxis. I guess the Uber one is weird because like there the existing industry wasn't a gold standard of anything really. Um, but like, and then like you know the strike is one of the only means other than the Fed stepping in, which you know there is is a slow moving process. Uh, one of the only means the that those people have of of recourse, um, any sort of like um, reorientation of the company in a way that isn't like directly at their expense. Um, but like, uh, we're not going to solve Uber crisis. No, but but I guess we have to pick out where things are much more harmful or are needing their bad parts fixed. Well, it's, it's how many of these things are room fills versus actual progress. Um, is, uh, something I'm never sure of. And like, eventually they just become having been progress because that whatever, what eventually this thing is just a thing that happened for a while and got replaced by another thing. Um, which, mm-hmm. which is a, doesn't feel good to me, I guess. Like, I think that the thing that I, the lines that I draw between things like Uber and, uh, the Amazon delivery and, uh, the, 
for like, like without getting into the too much detail, like the the uh, unification of of uh, availability down to down to a, just a handful of stores. Like the the fact that like like you were saying in a in a big city, you end up with these like highly specialized restaurants or stores or whatever. Um, that is because a big city allows you to be within range of enough people that you it can support some weird esoteric right, store, yeah. and in and a lot of a ton of places in the U.S. there are no longer esoteric weird stores because you can just order something from Amazon. Like there's, uh, it's probably, uh, in, it's probably orders of magnitude harder to run a business that exists to move things effectively from Amazon to a shelf in order to sell them to someone else. Uh, than it used to be and like but like at some point like all those things that when they come around at first feel revolutionary and convenient and then you realize you start wondering about like to what end did this change actually happen Um, because it doesn't it doesn't feel like uh, right, it so feels like, like convenience need, at the in the at the expense of progress or something. Or the, yeah, you know what I, I mean, mean, you're fulfilling a need, but you're 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 looking for needs that people have to make money off of, and that's fine. But then you start to find this separation between what people want, uh, just absolutely as a term, and what people would benefit people and i know that's a that's a a judgment call right but let's take amazon versus uber for example mm-hmm. i could see on the face of it that uber is more um uh beneficial to people than amazon in the sense that absolute availability of merchandise isn't an absolute good. It's only a good insofar as you want stuff when you want it. Yeah. It's not like somebody yeah. was dying or having a terrible life because they couldn't get it. It was just that, you know, we always want something and it is convenient. And it's nice. But is that anything that's doing anything for us other than fulfilling what we want? Like, strictly speaking. And not really. Like, yeah. It, that's, but that's a philosophy. And I know not everyone shares it. Um, and it's a little bit less so with Uber. I'm not saying that the reasons for creating it were better. But there are other benefits that are actually something that makes people safer in some cases and, and whatever. Maybe less cars on the road. I don't know. Um, but I don't think either of them necessarily were intended for our good. But, yeah, sometimes things are clearly more cardboard cutouts. And some are more semi-functional. I think there's a room in there. <laughs> well, it's like, where is the actual uh, business happening, right? Like in the case of Apt, I think that the actual business is probably upstairs, right? Like it's people, right. is rich people paying six digits to get a new garage put in or whatever. And then like the, uh, then with something like Uber, um, first of all, they lose just like a gobs of money every year. Like the 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 business is not in any remote way profitable. They lost nine digits worth of money last year or something like that. It's insane because the actual business is investor growth, right? It's not that it is profitable for 
anyone to like the the pricing of an a, a car that you bought like that you hire on Uber is only relevant. It's not relevant to like help Uber uh, into the year in the black. It is relevant because it affects some growth line on some chart and investors interest in the company and uh, shareholders stake and things like that. Like the, the, uh, the, so like the Uber is definitely, they're, they're focusing on like international growth and stuff because at, at some point the, the, the metric is growth, not profitability like at all. And the same with Amazon. Um, the, the, and Amazon also ha- runs like a bunch of well, businesses. Amazon finally made a profit. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. But yeah. like they also run a bunch but of businesses. That was how it was set up yeah. originally as well. Yeah. Yeah, and they they run they um they own ha- uh, the servers for a third of the internet or whatever. Like they have business. So what's the purpose of Amazon? They to pur- make money. Yeah. The, the, well, that's the thing is that the end of of all of these things doesn't feel like it is related to a good. Uh, in any way, it, it, well, it let me ask you this: being sort of a if self-fulfilling were, goal, right? If you were running a company, uh-huh. and let's be honest, there there are needs for wide distribution. Sure, what, you know, servers are necessary. I mean, they run S three. Yeah, yeah. Um, how would you run a business that wouldn't look like that? <laughs> uh, man, see, uh. There is, there's, that's the uh, question that I think is, I've just started this book. I'm not going to talk about it until I read more of the book because I don't know if the book's going to be any good. But there, the book uh, sort of deals with this idea of um, what is the end goal of that format of economy and, and, and the market and the entire, like, what is the actual, what, what is the point of the, like, uh, churn of of capitalism where like a business disrupts and either via a like new undermining of regulation or like figuring out how to get around some extant cost in some way or slimming down you know there's a million ways to come in with a Mm -hmm. new business and do better than a previous business usually it's not that the product is better or the service is better it's that there is some trimmed down way a new company has figured out to like skirt a law or um cut a middleman out or whatever like there there but regardless like there is this there's this churn right of like new company disrupts eventually ages out um uh, or regulations catch up with them or whatever new you know next company comes in next company churns and what blah 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 and it's this like a you know sort of cyclical stair step thing but to what end, right? Like eventually, like what, what is the purpose of, um, and cause the company has gotten so big, uh, you know, they're bigger the GDP of, or like the cash <laughs> reserves of Apple is big, is like puts them at the, in the top 10 countries of the world or something like that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like at what point, what is the, um, what is that? Like, what is, what do you, is it even a moral entity at that point? You know, like what, so like, I don't know, like, I don't feel like, I think what we're doing is like ramming up against a, a ceiling there where it's like, well, is the cycle just that this company eventually gets mob belled into nine companies and then we have to do this all again 
and like the and is it even possible like is is it possible for amazon or something to get broken up at this point like like what we've dealt with in the mid 20th century or yeah without causing too much right or is it it's like a disease becoming too much of the patient right like just uh, kill both of them is it possible like is is the role of a government not that Amazon's a disease. Well, it's not an absolute problem. It's an example of problems that arise from this system. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's and it's like if that if if we have seen this grow from you know 120, 130 years from uh, companies getting around laws by like having children run factory equipment up to, you know, we've made it. We got the FDA in there. You can't put poison in hot dogs anymore. Like, all of these things that we put into place. I were, really felt like that was a win for the consumers. Uh-huh. Yeah, honestly. no, uh, not not be allowing people to put arsenic. Well, again, regulation happened, uh, you know, 120 years ago or whatever. But now it's like... Do you think that there... Do you... I, I, be, I believe in my heart this happened. Do you think there was a group of industrialists that were fighting the anti-hot dog poison regulation? Yeah. But, but now, okay. Not, not because they wouldn't have was... fought to not poison it, but they would have fought details that sounded legal, made, making legal sense. But the ultimate substance of what they were doing was wanting it to be okay to cut corners at the expense of killing people. I mean, that is not dissimilar to what we're dealing with in other, like, I mean, there's a bunch of examples of that now. You've got your Monsantos and whatnot. Like, there are companies that, like... Like there, there's a, there's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, it's all abstracted away from like effect. <clears throat> Excuse me. The cause is abstracted away enough from the effect that you could argue the principle of, uh, you know, free market or whatever. Um, right. But if we try to reduce all harm in society, we fossilize. Right. Everything. That's, I guess that's the, you know, that's the slippery slope argument is that we, if we try to reduce too much harm, we're just eventually, well, it's, um, well, people take it that way. People say, well, if we try to reduce too much harm, nothing will work. So don't yeah. reduce harm. Yeah. Well, no, it just, uh, both, both extremes have to understand that there's a functional existence and nobody knows the best or, Nobody's going to agree on the exact best way to go about that. Well, but if both people are thinking it's a good idea to find a balance, that's where we can work. But it, yeah, but well, if you're not admitting that there's, well, whatever we've talked about. That no, before. no, I think that's the that's kind of a good way of of um, that's a good point to make. Is that like if if these things are in the interest of finding some sort of equilibrium or balance or social good or whatever, then there's a conversation to be had. But like the, the worry that I see with this, you know, the, um, the, the simulated healthy retail store, the simulated restaurant or the simulated magical thing arriving at your doorstep is that it's like, um, you know, everything's good behind the curtain sort of thing. Uh, but not actually, not actually social good or, or a health, like a, uh, that stuff doesn't feel like it's the actual priority. Like the actual, well, the actual business is not making money on that. Right. There, there, Uber is not making money on your money, like at all. Um, and like Amazon is, you know, ran losses for forever in order to undercut, 
you know, what otherwise would be a normal amount of time to wait to get something um, in the name of growth. Until their competitors. Right. Away. And then it becomes this unsustainably large thing where the company Amazon can't afford to, no one can afford to do what they did. Um, and like at this point they they don't actually need Robot to make money labor. on that. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. And the people, I mean, that's, I, that's not a joke. Like no, that's what it's kind of already. Yeah. But that's Look, what they have to go sh- to. Yeah. But maybe, <laughs> maybe this, you can see a future in which this truly brought up a problem that had to be solved that results in people doing less menial work. And having like, you know, guaranteed income and something in, of the sort, like oh, far man. in the future or whatever. I don't know, but I I think I like you can't ignore that possibility. Oh boy, oh, I I have to go. Is the problem? I want to talk about UBI. <laughs> oh, we should yeah. talk about that in a future episode because like I don't feel like the any of uh, the companies that are driving the like automation of the workplace inevitable like they're claiming it's inevitable and maybe it is just because of the nature of like global economies right regardless of the mm-hmm. like actual economic format of the United States or if we you know focused on something that was again like I was saying the uh capitalism feels like this like endless churn to what and really it's a system that ultimately self optimizes into one profitable company like there's not like a like for something that it, because of the you way you mean like like left to itself left to itself yeah it optimizes into one company and that's it or maybe like two companies well, fighting or left whatever left to itself you know? you're going to see a mimic of what countries have done throughout history which is you consolidate as much power as you can right and you own a certain sphere and then you conflict with others and it's really yeah it's very much like uh, that when when it gets to a certain point. Yeah, and so like the, those companies, you know, they're they're kind of also shrugging and saying, "Well, this is inevitable about a problem that they helped create." Like there's a you you've out, you've cut away so much inefficiency, inefficiency being kind of an important part of a, a society. Like there is a people are bemoaning, you know, the milkman delivering milk to their door. Or whatever, and while simultaneously ordering things on Amazon, like there, there's there was a bunch of inefficiency built baked into society in a right. way that and, gave and people jobs, you know, and like created and businesses. Well, I'll put it this way: the the illusion, the promise of progress equals happiness, mm. is one that people should examine. I'm not saying progress is absolutely problematic but people were as happy with that maybe more happy in a lot of ways than they are now like we need to separate what types of progress absolutely benefit us as humans and what types of progress are merely us spinning a wheel and i think there are both right but you got to know that there's two types and you got to try to find them and, and and go towards one or the other yeah, like a social progress or like societal progress does not equal like market progress or um like Yeah, let's just say people uh people being less diseased is an example to me of absolute progress in in a lot of ways, yeah. which is that people are healthier and that's always going to be a happier situation. But having 
fancier computer games not necessarily increasing happiness. You just want the next one that you have. There's other corollaries. <laughs> like I'm not going to f- f- single out computer games because like computer, some of that incidentally advances other technologies. But there's ways to look at it that aren't just a flat plane of progress. Yeah, and like the the question of like uh, where where it is what, to what end? I guess like when you're looking at capitalism, is this like infinite churn of progress? Uh, there isn't like a point at which equilibrium is reached, and I think that that is the thing that I'm look that the, that I'm reading this to be named book um, and thinking more about is like there isn't there isn't a point at which these companies get big enough and everything just becomes stable because that's not that's kind of stability is sort of. Uh, directly at odds with the entire no- notion of like a uh, competition and a market. And oh yeah. Public, publicly funded corporations almost have no ability to intentionally do good. They're screwed. <laughs> they yeah. can't produce a service because services don't naturally expand forever, but that's what they have to do. It's yeah. It, it, it's, you know, that's going to happen. So if you want to do good with a company, you either realize you don't have enough money or you don't make it public. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 you're sort of trapped really. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, and when the, when like something like Amazon's allowed to get so big that it literally destroys entire subsections of markets, like everything from the mail to enthusiast stores to like local, even like big box stores at this point, right? Like there's all sorts of inefficiencies, middlemen that were uh, sort of important to uh, sort of a richness of society. And like, and, and instead we're going into automation and stuff and sure, like that seems to be the future and I do not have time to talk about it, but I see, unfortunately, I don't feel like a company that treats people the way that they do um, will ever have a vested interest in supporting or lobbying or not lobbying against or anything, some sort of a, a UBI system. Um, like it, it feels like that is an actual, it feels like a, a sort of depressing solution to kind of a busted problem. Um, but like, is an actual positive step, but I just don't, I, I mean, I'm waiting for a signal yeah, for any of these companies no. to actually feel like they'd want to do that. It's but the possibility spider. So yeah. quickly, it's hard to make a grand plan, but I think each, we can always decide where to go from where we are. Yeah. We don't need to overly demonize any one thing. We just need to look at it as to what good can be done from where we are, you know, like, cause I think that you don't have something like Amazon become as big and successful as it is without it bringing unique opportunities that we can use. Sure. Um, along with it, right? As much as we have these negatives, we need to deal with. So yeah, like it's it's not like get rid of it all necessarily. It's like, hey, let's admit that we need to seriously think about how to do move things towards good ways <laughs> move those because things toward not, good ways we can't just control everything nor should we because the yeah. whole point is that you know we also could be short-sighted in some way and blow up something that could have been good maybe i don't know yeah i think 
I keep coming back to the idea that one of the underlying issues here is me and mineism, which I see. Sure. I've started to see everywhere like a paranoid person uh, <laughs> everywhere, which is that it's different than selfishness in that it's uh, it's subtle. It feels like a form of morality to say, well, I'm making sure that I can provide for those I care about. Mm-hmm. And that's a moral thing. But in a lot of ways, it's just masking your complete uh, willingness to do that. So at the expense of others, at the expense of others, is the same as not at the expense of others, as long as it's taking care of you and the people you care about. Man, I I want to come back to that um, next time because like I that ties so strongly into some other stuff I've been feeling the um, at the expense of others. I'll write it down because yeah, there is a um, there there's there's ways that that ties into I think um, xenophobia or like other sort of like mindsets about other people. I think that also ties into like why I think some people recoil at social safety nets. Uh, I think that that, yeah, that ties into the morality of, of these businesses. Yeah. Like in so many different areas when I started to think about it and obviously yeah. like I have to see where I'm doing it because it feels like you're doing the right thing mm-hmm. because it is good to take care of those around you. Even if you're not just being selfish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, what's your basis there, and what can you do to accomplish that same goal in different ways? Like, you know, are you just being more broadly selfish at that point? But yeah, you'll yeah. see it everywhere. Yeah, no, I I already do. Oh man, I really want to talk about that, but I have to go to work. Um, this has been a delight. A delight. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to hold you up. I know your Uber's waiting for you downstairs. Yeah, that's right. So. I'm, I'm actually taking an Uber to a lift, um, <laughs> and then that's going to take me to a rickshaw, and then I'm just going to have um, someone lead me down the street by the hand until I get to work. Right. Um, the rickshaw so. population uh, is really suffering. So, <laughs> hey, man, I'm trying to uh, trickle down uh, my money to all of the different rideshare services today. All right. Have fun at the factory. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you.